Welcome to the Consciousness Anywhere and Everywhere podcast. I am Shannon O'Hara and I invite you to a completely new world of possibilities. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Consciousness Anywhere podcast. Today, I have a very exciting and interesting and hopefully very expanding guest. I'm joined today by Stephen Bowman, who is an acknowledged strategic awareness and thought leader, along with his wife, Chichissa, on strategic awareness, conscious leadership, prosperity consciousness, business transformation in a period of economic uncertainty. Steve is also the author and co-author of over 14 books on government, governance, strategy, risk, and executive leadership. Welcome, Stephen. Are we excited yet with all those I topics? Am. I Absolutely. am. I am. Well, I love having I love having somebody. I love having somebody. I love having somebody with so much this reality credentials because it's so totally different than my normal style. So I had to. <laughs> I, 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 forgive me. I had to brag about you. Ah, brag away. I have a lot of fun with this because we get called in to deal with some of the most. Um, toxic situations around board tables and you know very powerful people who are just going at each other's throats and I'm telling you it is such fun because with the tools of access you you, you sit back you change it just by walking into the room or getting on the zoom with them everything is just an interesting point of view they don't know what to do with that it's wonderful so that's why we get called in all the time to deal with these really toxic situations <laughs> well I um I think it's hysterical because I was, if any of you guys listening to this today, if you heard uh, the podcast that got released last, which was with Pam Hodling on the rules and policies for possibilities, you hear Pam mention Stephen and his wife, Chutissa Bowman, which I thought was such a perfect tee up for having you on next, which by the way, wasn't even the plan. It's just, that's how sometimes the universe works. It was like so perfect. And so the conversation that Pam and I were having was a lot about like the difference between rules that control and sort of like squish people's inspiration for being in life versus uh, guidelines and things to be instituted that make that create things that work. And I had this big question about, you know, like looking at the governments of a lot of our countries and obviously the big societal structures that, that we all live in and could and can consciousness be applied realistically as a valid method or way of governing? Yeah, it's an interesting one, that one, because I've got a, a, a quite an unusual point of view on that. My view is that the, the country will develop despite the government. And oh, I love this. Oh, I love this. Yes, yes. If, okay. we, uh, if we're willing to take the point of view that it's that it is us as individuals that create the difference and the change that is required, then we start making government less significant and we look to see what's happening in government and the first question that I would always ask is, so how can we use that to our advantage to create even greater change? I think way too many people look at government and say, oh, so-and-so is going to get in and we're stuffed or this is going to happen and the country's going to wreck and ruin. Whereas those of us who really take a different view are saying, okay, so what consciousness can I be? What difference can I make in what I do? And if you've got a country of 100 million people, 
all willing to be just a little bit more aware, a little bit more conscious, that's got a bigger impact than having a major you know, government policy come out. Wow. You know, one, of the, one of the things always is, um, I think this ties into what Pam was probably saying as well too, Pam Hortling, and that is, look, the rules, the regulations, the policies that government bring out, great, fantastic, but how do we interpret them that will create greater change? Because there's 101 million different ways of looking at something. So right. if, for example, a government policy comes out, how do you choose to look at it? Uh, for example, in uh, the disability sector or in aged care sector, we do a lot of work in uh, education, aged care, disability, uh, homelessness. We do a lot of work in those areas. And if a government policy comes out, the organisations which are just made up of people that are more aware, so the people that are more aware, that are more conscious, will look at that and say, okay, so how can we use this? Those that are the effect of things and don't see themselves as their creator source will look at it and say, oh, God, look what we have to do now. And there's a huge, in, a huge difference in the way you see things. So if you see anything as, okay, so, hmm, interesting, wonder how I can leverage this as opposed to, oh, I'm being hamstrung. Well, it's interesting when you say uh, there's so many different ways to interpret things. And I love how you went to uh, people looking for greater possibility as your first reference point for that. Because mm -hmm. I have been recently dealing with, like, because I institute, I have a small big, I would say I have like a small big business. So I'm obviously not a government. It's not big. Um, it's not that big. But it involves and includes like over 200 people. And so there's just lots of policies and entity that have to be yeah. looked at as things develop. And um, it's global. Actually, <laughs> and it's global. And it's global. And actually, I want to go back to the first thing you said in a minute that countries will form regardless of governments, because that was like such an interesting place to start. But what I've been looking at recently is like all institute, just recently, we had to go have a huge meeting about a policy change because something was written a certain way about the way in which they could uh, like structure their classes. And then there were, there were literally 15 interpretations of what they thought that meant. And I thought, wow, I never could have imagined that they would have read this like that and then that from this statement. So yeah. it's true. People interpret these laws, these rules, these policies in so many different ways. But what comes first is the people, like the country forms before the government. And that's true. It's the government's catch up to the development of societies. Yeah, I mean, governments can exponentialise change, but then individuals can exponentialise change too. So they're not mutually exclusive. So what, what a government does is makes it easier for people to understand how to use this reality. So say more about that. Well, when, when government um, is in power, then it is setting up the policies, the framework, the, you know, the, the focusing of attention and dollars on particular primarily societal issues because in the end government primarily is there to shape and develop society, which is you know, a bunch of people all agreeing to live together. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it, to, to, to shape that in a way that meets the ideology of those in power in the government, but who also are aware of what the touch points within the greater mass of people are, the greatest mass, mass of citizenship. So there's always, for example, if you look at the aged care debate going on around the world, there's particularly with the pandemic, 
there's two elements coming out of that. One of them is, well, they were old anyway, just let them go for it. Um, and the other one is, well, we cannot let our most frail and, and at-risk citizens who have contributed so much to who we are today um, come at risk from the pandemic. And um, it's just interesting to see the, the different um, philosophies. For example, Australia, we, we uh, are now down to zero cases uh, in Australia and in particular in Victoria, zero cases for the last week, whereas we had a second wave come through. Uh, and what people are most excited about is that we've got down to zero cases in aged care homes. Mm -hmm. So that gives a, a, an indication. Now, it's not better, it's not worse, it's just different. You know, each country is different. And, and again, my view on that is once government uh, develops policies, and we can all have some sort of input into those, our job as individuals is to look to see what, how we can create change with, what we've been, with what's been said or what we, has been put out. So mm -hmm. you get people that argue against something. My problem with that is that never look to see how they can use it. So government, I think people make way more significant than it is and they people tend to forget that they're the creator source there that, so when, it exactly. comes, when, it, when it comes to business when it comes to family when it comes to self-leadership uh, government doesn't do anything to do that it might put different focuses in place but we as individuals still have choice in everything and not to fight against mm. it's more to okay so how can we use that what are the different ways that that um others haven't considered and this is why you know we get a lot of people you probably have the same in the, the us but in australia we've had a lot of people protesting about the lockdowns that we've had and uh the taking away of freedoms and rights and all that sort of stuff and my point of view is yeah get over it what can you create in your life rather than worrying about what other people are creating right actually that's really interesting i i sort of can you give a little bit more like uh practical or literal uh, input about the, 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 the protests about loss of freedom. Um, like, I guess, uh, how do I put this? Because I've been watching that, how there have been, it's been really interesting watching how certain freedoms are getting restricted. And I'm looking at it going, wow, this is so interesting. I wonder where this is headed. And I don't feel particularly or changed. Well, that's a great question. That's actually a great question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are they being changed? Are these sort of, I would even say like the freedom of movement around the planet. Is this going to be a permanent change or is yeah. it a particular restriction of the time? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the thing is, yeah, freedom of movement, for example. Okay, so if I can't move in this way, in this way, what are the other 15 different ways I can move? Well, exactly. And that's how what I've been doing because I don't feel that I've lost any freedom at all, actually. Right. Like, I've, I mean, I've been traveling less, but I'm still traveling. And, yeah. I mean, we found ways around certain things where, you know, my husband and I are based in Europe and you can't enter the U.S. at this point directly from Europe. So we're been forced to enjoy ourselves in Mexico for two weeks before we go to the United States. And, and I'm looking at, um, I'm sort of looking at how do we make, what's the difference between the things that are getting, I would say imposed on us uh, mm -hmm. under, the, under the guise of safety. How do we make that work for us 
Well, again, my question is, is it imposed or has something just changed? See, the, my, and, and this is just my point of view. So the rules have changed. Okay, how can I make use of that? Right, how can whereas you make use I, of that, yeah. Yeah, whereas if I'm feeling that someone's imposing, I have to fight against it. I tell you, I'm having a hard time looking at how do I make use of a two-week enforced hotel quarantine, which in truth is actually probably fine. It's like, it's just a point of view I need to change. It's like two weeks alone in a room could actually be a great time to really work on a book. Like, of course, there's a million things you could do with two weeks that are, you have to be alone. So you can either, and, and again, I mean, you're, you're one of the smartest people on this planet and you immediately will turn something to advantage. You just can't help yourself, Shannon. You'll immediately look at the 14 million different ways that you can actually leverage off that and, and do stuff. So. so one of the things is that what we do find is, and let's take a really practical example. Okay, so uh, the pandemic again has come out. Government has has uh, put in place different rules, regulations. Um, whether they're right or wrong, I don't bother getting into the rightness or wrongness of something. Just saying, okay, so these are the rules, these are the regulations, how can we use it? Now, what I've been finding is because we talk we talk with CEOs daily um, of very, very, very large organisations and some quite small organisations, and the great majority of them have never seen such a wave of innovation in their organisation, starting from the board right down to their staff. That wave of innovation has changed the future dramatically. And that wave of innovation has come about by new ways of working that they would never have otherwise considered. It has forced change in government policy in three weeks. It would have otherwise taken 15 years of endless debate. Um, it has changed the way that people connect with each other so that they're actually looking after each other and looking out for each other rather than just assuming that, you know, if, as long as we have a water cooler at work, then our culture is fine. So it's made fundamental changes, which um, you know, warms my heart because the goodness of people has come out, the creativity of people has come out, the willingness to make things work no matter what the change in circumstances are has come out. So that gives me enormous hope for the future. And, yeah. and then you've got another group where are complaining about it and all they want to do is go out and party and drink and these are just the old ones. Um, and, and, yeah, and, and uh, what I find is that people that are willing to be more aware, and it also, sorry, the other thing I'd say is it's also highlighted to me that there are more conscious aware people out there than we can possibly imagine and it's increasing and increasing. Mm. And it's who they choose to be with the world that to me is the biggest indicator of, of whether someone is... Um, willing to be more aware and more conscious. And I've seen this really shine through in the last eight months, awesome stuff. So I think the thing here is that the framing of all of this, if we think something is an imposition, then we will fight against it. If we think something is a uh, regulation meant to restrict, then we won't look to see what the possibilities are that are created from that. And so it's, so it's that all... Yeah, the way you see the world, do you see it from the, and we come back to one of our favourite topics, do you see it from the, the space of scarcity or do you see it, see it from the space of abundance and prosperity? Mm. And if you see it from the space of scarcity, you've already bought into the lies of scarcity. Now, the lies of scarcity are there's not enough out there mm. and there'll never be enough. And the second lie is that not only that, but it's really hard. 
And then the, <laughs> and then the, and then the, the second, that's the second life scarcity. The third life scarcity is not only is there not enough, not only is it really hard, but that's just the way it is. And so, so you look at some of the things that come through from government, for example, some of the restrictions, the regulations, whatever you want to call them, and people that go, oh, my God, there's not enough, uh, yeah, there's not enough freedom here, right? Life scarcity. There is. It's just now different. Oh, it's going to be really hard. Well, you're absolutely right. If that's your point of view, and then and there's nothing we can do about it. Again, you are absolutely correct. Have a nice life. So it's uh, it's just how we choose to see the world. How we choose to see the world. Mm-hmm. Last night, my last night, my husband and I ended up in this weird debate about something that we completely agree upon, but somehow we were debating it. We were watching an interview with Barack Obama, actually, and he was talking about how when you do a Google search, depending on your your point of view, whether you're like a conservative, conservative, a moderate, um, and I don't know what the word for liberal is that he was using, but depending on like what your point of view is, that's how like Google and the internet basically starts tailoring what they serve up to you. So three people could put in the exact same word search into a search engine and get back three different, completely different points of view. And my husband was like, my husband was like really shocked and I was like but isn't that the same as consciousness like based on your point of view is exactly what you'll like consciousness can serve up to you yep. so it's like ex- exactly what you the way you see the world your perspective your filter your stance your point of view is the feedback you're going to be getting from your computer and from the world and it gets even better than that because we see this in boardrooms around the world as well too and it's one of the things that we do with them is that uh, you will also concoct the evidence to prove your point of view. No matter what is in front of you, you concoct the evidence so it actually proves your point of view. <laughs> and this is why it's so, and this is why it's so vital and so the pivot one to question your point of view as a way of allowing greater to come rather mm. than narrowing down always what can show up. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because um, people have said to me, many times, does that mean that I have, should have no point of view? And I said, no, you can have a point of view as long as it works for you. And if it's not working, change your point of view to another one that will work for you. If that doesn't work, change your point of view again until that works for you. And then if it is working for you, ask yourself, ah, I wonder if there's something even better, and then change your point of view again. <laughs> Infinite possibilities. That's it. Infinite possibilities in action. And I love what you said earlier about how it's, God, how did you put it? I wish I could go back and get it verbatim, but you were basically stating how the individual is, has as much impact on the way things shows up, if not more so than government. Yeah. Yeah. If we make government significant then you can only see the wrongness of it or the rightness of it, and you can't see what possibilities it actually creates. So I so can I just say, this is really, people don't get, this is really practical stuff. It's not philosophy. It's actually how you can live your life. I have these conversations probably daily with um, with CEOs that are feeling stuck in in, uh, in a situation they've faced. Or when we look at governance reviews, I'm doing a major governance review of the learned academies of the world at the moment, and it's just fascinating. I'm loving it. Some of the smartest people, chief scientists of countries I've been talking to, it's just awesome. And uh, and the, one of the things in there always is to is the conversation of, okay, so your point of view creates your reality. You can either see this as a problem or you can see it as an opportunity. I mean, it doesn't get more practical than that. 
and talking to them, just yesterday I had to write a report on this governance review, and instead of pointing out what the problems were, I said, these are the issues, here's, a, here's how they could be different. And all of a sudden people are looking at how they could make something different rather than trying to fix something. This is what, how this stuff is just so practical. Hmm. Yeah, true. It is practical. And I'd like to... I'd like to look at the culture, government, society thing through the perspective of um, I'm I'm constantly in the question about what makes a particular culture like it is and another one like it is, like the difference between Mexico and Greece and the difference between Greece and Sweden and the difference between Sweden and Australia. Like it's I'm fascinated why certain cultures develop into what they develop into. And I think a lot of it can be tracked back to the indigenous societies. Like I'm in Mexico right now, and it's really interesting looking around because you still have a very indigenously strong culture with like a big heavy smearing of uh, European descent culture on top of it. And mm-hmm. so it's sort of interesting to see how that shows up. Um, and I'm like, okay, so what makes Mexico be like this? Where I would say like the infrastructure, there's not a lot of investment in the infrastructure or the people. Mm-hmm. Uh that would be my take on what I see going on in Mexico versus in a place like Sweden, where there's a tremendous amount of investment into the infrastructure and the people. Um, like why, what makes the difference? Why that there and this here? Yeah. Well, my view is I never answer a question that is about why, because people get annoyed with me, not you, I know, but people get annoyed <laughs> with me. So you ask me why, and I'll just say, because what's your next question? It is not our destiny to succumb to the destruction of the world. We have a choice to create a future that has greater possibility. What if every single action you take contributes? Actions for Futures is about empowering people to know that they are the ones creating the future. Visit actionsforfutures.com to find out how you can contribute to a more conscious future. So if you were going to, so if you were, if somebody, say like the country of Ecuador came to you and was like, Stephen, where do you see we could be directing resources or changing policies to start to have a more conscious, you know, or uh, abundant yeah. future for Ecuador? What, where would you begin? So I'd begin with the person, the head of the department, mm. and I would ask them some questions so that they could come to their own awareness and unlock their own wisdom. See, my job is not to tell anyone how to do something. My job is to mm-hmm. unlock their wisdom. And this is what right. gives me great comfort in the work that we do. Well, not comfort, ease, I suppose, because I know I don't need to know anything other than I know that there are multiple possibilities and that people can look at things differently that will unlock their own awareness. So if I was to be asked by Ecuador to say, where should our resources be? The first thing I say, well, let me have a, let, him, let me have a, a meeting with the minister. And then mm. I'm asking the minister, so, okay, so from your point of view, what needs to change? Okay, mm. cool. Now, what if that wasn't so? What would that look like? Okay, well, what if that wasn't true? What would that look like? And then I just keep being the question and asking the question of that person and let them come up with what they need to do. So one of the things I won't, I won't do is to go in and tell them how to do something. What I will do is open up the doors for them to see other possibilities. Does that make sense? Well, it definitely makes sense. It definitely makes sense to me. It's the question and empowering. Teach a man to fish rather than giving a man a fish. 
mm-hmm. which is the recognition that, you know, anything is possible and people have to choose. It's, yeah. it, but I actually love that because it's the exact opposite of what I, it's the exact opposite of the way in which I see a lot of the word world working, which is where others look to others for the solution rather than others look to others for the awareness of what they know that would create and could create. One of the things that's really interesting in the work that we do um, is that I'm, I'm not there to save an organization. I'm not there to save a person. I'm not there to save the entity. Mm. Um, And what that means for me is that what I will do, get them to look at what other possibilities might be, help them to, get over any scarcity points of view so it can actually open up the different um, possibilities that are there for them, Mm. support them in the way that they need to be supported, and it's usually just by being there and asking questions Mm. so that they get to look at something slightly differently. But if they fail, if they go under, if they go bankrupt, oh, well, because that's their choice. So one of the things I've learned over many, many years is to never save, never, never come in with the, you know, the, the, the orchestra blaring in the background on a white horse with a nice big shiny shield saying, hey, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because people are going to choose what people are going to choose. That's, and, you got it in one. That's yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah. People are going to choose what people are going to choose. And I think something else I've heard you say that I really love is that, like, I think it, well, you said it in regards to corporations, like, what are corporations? They're actually just a bunch of people. And so this just harkens back to the, it's about the individual. It's about the individual who chooses, who then affects and can impact the whole in horrible ways and amazing ways. Yeah. I mean, your choice of today creates the future of tomorrow. And this is probably one of the most powerful messages that many people won't get, um, not because they can't, they just refuse to. And I I know this purely from experience. Uh, And that is that, Every choice creates, so I'm talking to a CEO yesterday, every choice creates until you judge it and then you've just destroyed everything that that choice created. And I was talking to um, a a very, very um, well-known public figure from New Zealand and I said, look, every every choice creates until you judge it. And they they sat back and the eyes of their, their eyes widened. I went, what do you mean when you judge it? Well, I said, look, if you've if you choose something and you judge it as the right choice, you've just destroyed everything else it created because you can't see anything else. If you judge it as wrong, then you can't see what it actually did create as well too. Oh, wow. You, you know, yeah, yeah. And just a simple thing like that, and she went, oh, my God, I just realised what I've been doing with my with my um, family. She's a very well-known married person. And, uh, and I said, look, sometimes it can be difficult understand but then again that's just a point of view as well too so just be aware that every choice creates so there's no such thing as you know little choices or big choices every choice creates until you judge it and then you destroy what it created she said does that mean i need to get out of judgment i said thank you my job is done (laughs) (laughs) and we have a lot of fun with this (laughs) well it's awesome it's really cool to hear because i'm i love that you're taking the conversation and the tools of question, not judging, looking for the possibilities, um, changing your point of view rather than trying to come to a conclusion about what a better point of view could be. You know, mm-hmm. that's that, that that way of thinking or that perspective could become and is becoming 
um, valid and part of the way the mainstream can choose to function. Hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and once people recognize that every choice they make creates, then they start to look with a sense of wonderment at the world rather than a sense of foreboding. Oh, gosh. You know, I love that about that once people realize that every choice they make creates and my God, the amount of people who are so in resistance to having to claim and acknowledge that their choices are actually creating. Mm. I feel like that's what I deal with a lot, um, a lot with my staff. <laughs> I'm like, why did you make this particular choice? They're like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, we need to talk about it because it was a very expensive choice. So you're either going <laughs> you know, wake up to this or you're yeah. gone. Yeah, I don't mind you learning, but, but please, could it be less expensive? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really interesting because I've, I've so, I, I so ooh, hope and dream, wish, pray, question, what else is possible about this awareness that people, that every choice that you make creates or destroys. Mm. Mm. Like, Well, it only destroys if you've judged it, in my view. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, see. Because I would say it's like the choice that you, like I've got a woman who, who actually has just left my business, who um, she's been sort of over the few months deteriorating and we've all been sort of watching it being like, I wonder what's going on there. And, yeah. and then I found out only recently that she got into a relationship and I went, oh, wow, interesting. And watching the choices she's making. And I've actually, I'm actually literally watching her deteriorate as a way of, I guess choosing that's where she has to go to, to, to maintain that relationship. And I think yeah. a lot of people can relate to choosing a relationship and then sort of destroying their jobs, their money, their, you know, relationships with others. Yep. Um, but it's, but, but regardless of whether you create or destroy, it's that knowing that you are choosing and that's, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yep. And that's where I would love to see, love to see people functioning from. I don't know what I want to see, but it's like watching people go hysterical right now over, the news about the coronavirus and I'm just sort of looking I'm like looking around at the world around me and everyone's fine like everyone's happy everyone's fine life's just moving on but then you watch the news and it's like full-blown hysteria but if people could and would recognize that they actually had a choice and that they weren't going to accidentally get like shot down by the bolt of terrible possibility mm -hmm. um I mean I suppose they could choose to be shot down by the bolt of terrible possibility and I love the allowance that you have for that. And you also get that people are going to choose what people are going to choose and you kind of have to let it work. Um, yeah. Well, it, it, to me, it, it's also very selfish from my point of view too, because it gives me great ease. That way I don't need to ride on a big white horse with, you know, charging and tilting at windmills. <laughs> you, call it you call it selfish. I might call it smart. <laughs> and it gives a certain amount of ease. But the other thing, it also allows you to deal with, what otherwise people would see as very difficult situations in a way that actually opens things up to other possibilities. So, so it, and it's, yeah, my, one of my views on life is life, life is easy. So what can I do to make it even easier? Do you have any awareness of what got you to that point of view of life is easy? I think I've been this for so long. It's just a part of me. Mm. Now, when, when we, uh, uh, my, my family, situation in many instances people say would say how terrible was that you know my mother had a very abusive husband uh i remember my first memory first real memory was sitting in the back of a car being about two hours ahead of our father who was chasing after us um and then 
she was single mother for many, many years. We had no money. Uh, we ended up in a dairy farm in the country to try and get away from him. At the same time, um, it was very, very cheap out there. But what I, I, you know, one of the things I always learned from that is that, okay, so what can I change here? So, you know, I rode away to a very prestigious college and got a full scholarship, for example, just by being cheekily writing to them, saying, hey, I'm here. I'd like the opportunity. How about it? Um, and then my brother got one as a direct result of that. And then uh, we went to the US with no, absolutely no money for two years. And from there developed up, you know, all credit to Chittissa for this, developed up a, a, a global um, fashion brand in New York. There's a whole story behind that as well too. So really, in to me, it's just been part of the way I am. Now I have a language to describe it and it right. is something that doesn't just happen anymore. I'm now much more aware and more, um, more aware and more demanding that life be easy. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. I'd love to see more people demanding that life be easy. That is such a rarity and such a brilliance. So thank you so much, Stephen, for coming on today. Uh, for those of you guys listening, we will put, Stephen has several websites, tons of resources, tons of books, really amazing content and information. A bunch of links are going to be in the show notes. So you guys can check he and his wife, Chuchisa Bowman out. Uh, really phenomenal people, obviously very different perspective on uh, really big things. Shannon, it's been, as always, an absolute delight to chat with you. You're one of the few people that I know that are able to extrapolate and really look at some of the more interesting questions in the world. So thank you for the opportunity of being able to have a chat with you. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, everybody out there listening. How's it get better? Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this show. My target is to make consciousness easy to find and choose. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review on iTunes and share this with somebody who you know who might be looking for more consciousness in their life. You can visit me on shannon-ohara.com or talktotheentities.com. And to learn more about the amazing tools of Access Consciousness, you can visit accessconsciousness.com and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you.